Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Well, good morning, Epicos. Before we get started, I want to give a special warm welcome to everyone joining us on the stream. Hello, Eastside, love you guys, Sherman Park, Mayfair Road, and all of you wonderful people here at West Allis. Welcome to Epicoast Church, and thank you so much for choosing to come and join us here today for worship. We're going to be jumping back into our Colossians series, the center of all things here this morning. How has your New Year's been going so far? How's it been going? Good? Good? Have you guys made any New Year's resolutions? Have you broken any yet? No shame. <laughs> no shame if you, um, if you haven't, uh, haven't followed all the way through on some of those things. Um, but if you've made a resolution this year, I just want you to bring that, that thought, that habit that you want to make a part of your life, bring that to the forefront um, right now in this moment. We're going to talk about it for a little bit. Why do we make these, Right? Why do we make these resolutions, these promises to ourselves in our lives? I mean, these are the kind of resolutions you never hear about. You never hear someone say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat the most junk food ever (laughs) this year. Or I'm going to try not to close a single ring on my Apple Watch this year. Or I'm going to binge so much TV this year and waste away on my couch. You have no idea. You don't hear resolutions like that, do you? No. We make these promises to ourselves because we think this habit or this thing that I can make a part of my life will make me more complete, will make me whole, will give me a fuller existence here in this world. If I can just add this one thing to my life, then I can be complete or whole. And that brings up a very interesting question that I think all of us as human beings on this earth are trying to answer. What do, or how do I have a fuller life? How do I have a fuller life? What will make me complete and whole in this life? How will will we be fulfilled and have purpose in our day-to-day existence? Whether you're here today as a believer in Jesus or not, I can guarantee you that you are looking to have a fuller life. That may even be why you decided to come to church today. Why you decided to join us here today for worship is you're on search for this call in your life. Even if you don't make a resolution this year, what are you hoping for? A better job, family, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, friend group, community? This pressing question is upon all of our hearts. And it is a question that we all want answered in our lives, isn't it? If you were to ask Paul, he's the author of the Colossians, the series that we're in, how do I have a fuller life? He would tell you, Jesus. Jesus. And the reason why Jesus is the answer to a fuller life is because he is the center of everything in this universe. He is the center of everything in this world. And that brings us to our series. Jesus, the center of all things. We've been out of Colossians now for about a month. And so I want to take some time here this morning to to get our bearings again, to remind us of this truth here in this study. So we're we're going to be focusing on Colossians 
3, verse 17, but we'll get there. It's going to take me a little bit to get there because I want us to recap where we've come along in this, in this journey. And so we're going to be walking um, through Colossians, and I'm going to have us survey the, the first part. It's going to take about 10 minutes or so, so bear with me, please, as we, as we come to, to get our bearings and get our context once again. And so we're going to be having a bunch of passages for you that I'm going to be reading from and trying to connect for you, and they will be on the screen for you. So, but, so that'll be very helpful. But I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible today, open that up to Colossians, and, and you can even follow along with me. Even though the passages are on the screen, it might be helpful for you to, to read those along with me. And then as I'm making connections between the passages, you can even skim the words for yourself and see the, the language I'm talking about pop off the page. So, Grab that Bible, it might be in the seat back in front of you or around you. Um, pull out that smartphone or a tablet if you have your Bible on there. Um, we're going to be diving into Colossians this morning and starting in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, we see Paul open up with a beautiful introduction and encouraging prayer for this church in Colossae that he's incredibly thankful for. And he closes this introductory prayer with this statement in Colossians 1 verse 15. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Just that one statement alone you can take that, man, Jesus sounds like the epitome of fullness, the epitome of completeness, doesn't he? And that's what Paul really unpacks here in this first section. Uh, chapter 1, 15 through 2, 5 is the supremacy of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus. Nothing in all creation compares to Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is infinite and timeless. Jesus holds everything, all things together. And why is Jesus supreme? Because God put all of himself into Jesus to reconcile the world. And through the life of Jesus, which yes, he did give his life, peace was made between God and humanity. And we are now reunited with our creator, God, once more. Though you may be far off, if you believe in Jesus and place your trust in him as your savior, you can have relationship with God once again and you'll be given new life or a full, complete life in the name of Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. Church, do you believe this today? Come on, I want to hear you, church. Do you believe this today? Amen. Believing this is the key to a full life. But Paul goes on. He goes on to urge this church to continue in the gospel. And he explains how it is his motivation for suffering in ministry, verses 24 through 2-5. And then Paul spells out his goal in writing this letter. Look at Colossians 2, verse 2. 
He is writing to a church saying, my goal is that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. In knowledge. He says, don't lose sight of Jesus our Savior, but verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Don't lose sight of the gospel. By, by the very grace of God, you've been reunited and remain rooted in that truth. Remain rooted in that truth and focus on Jesus through the gospel. And it brings our next, next section of Paul where he talks about the lordship of Jesus. 2.6 through, through 23. We are to make Christ the Lord of our lives. We give everything over to him. We are to remain rooted in Jesus so that other lesser things in this world don't steal us away from our faith. In the rest of chapter 2, Paul explains how there's all these attractive ideologies out there in this world trying to lure you away from true, complete life and joy that's found in Jesus. Ideas like human philosophies, asceticism and rule following, worship of other spiritual forces, spiritual beings, or even very elements of this earth, and even legalistic religious traditions and customs are trying to steal you away from true worship and faith in Jesus. But all these things, though they promise a fuller life, they are actually lesser when compared to Jesus who is the ultimate way for a full and complete life. Look at, look at Colossians 2, 9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity bod dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. 2, 13. And you, who were dead in your trespass and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 2.17, these things are but a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to the Messiah, Jesus. Paul then makes a shift from explaining the lordship of Jesus to challenging this church. And I believe he also challenges us here today in his church in 2023. Man, I remember 2023. I thought, you know, I might have said 22. Okay. Um, okay, look at Colossians 3, verse 1. If you have been raised with the Messiah, seek the things that are above where the Savior is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things that are above and not on things on this earth. And in this age of distraction, Jesus calls us to Stay focused on him. Paul calls this church to stay focused on Jesus. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And Paul gives this illustration of taking off certain articles of clothing and putting on others. Look at, look at 3, 5. He says, put 
to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And Paul describes the characteristics of this world. This clothing that's actually truly alive. Just like the symbiotic venom suit from Spider-Man. That's a Marvel reference, y'all. All right? Very niche Marvel reference, okay? Uh, that's just the, that's the one I get allowed here for today, so that's the one I'm going to use. But just like this, this suit that Peter Parker had to fight that was trying to consume him, that was alive, Paul says the character of this world is like this living garment that's trying to consume you. And Paul calls you to put it to death. Then on the flip side, Paul tells us to, look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and then the list goes on and on and on. These things that he describes here are the characteristics of Jesus that we are to put on as his followers. These new garments. And after urging us to put on the character of Jesus and remove the character of the world, Paul closes this movement by sharing with us how to do this. And so we're going to be spending the rest of our time here in 317. But in order to do that, we need to read 15 and 16 to get our context once again. Look at 315. Paul says, And let the peace of the Messiah rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the the word of the Messiah, Christ, the Savior, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts toward God. These verses here, 15 through 16, describe how we are to live out focusing on Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, in the church community specifically. The church is designed for all of us to remind each other of the good news of Jesus. Everything we do here in this space, and even outside this space, because the church is more than a place, it is a people. Everything we do as a church needs to point one another toward Jesus. Our teaching, our instruction, our counseling, our worship, our singing, all of it is participating together to remind one another of the gospel and Jesus. So when we sing worship, we're not just singing to God, though we are singing to God, we're also singing to each other. And I'm sorry, my singing voice is terrible, but I am singing to you to remind you of Jesus when we sing worship here in this space. Even talking about the scriptures here together, like what I'm doing here today, is not meant just for you to go away and forget, right? What, what this, this conversation around the word of God is meant to do is to spur us in our hearts to continue this conversation as we leave here today. And we try to facilitate that with, with small group communities as well to, to have conversations around the word of God. Paul doesn't just focus on the gospel's impact in the church community though. And that's where we get 317. Because he looks outside of the walls of the church. He looks outside the community of the church. And he says this in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Where verses 15 and 16 tell us to point one another in the church to Jesus, verse 17 shows us how to point the world to Jesus. And I would summarize this verse with one simple phrase. All that we do reflects the name of Jesus. All that we do reflects the name of Jesus. Write that down today. 
We're going to break that, that phrase apart here today, and we're going to really focus and hone in on that for the rest of our time this morning. Everything we are as people is to reflect Jesus. Believing the gospel is not just some intellectual exercise we keep up in our heads and our thinking. It is giving our whole lives in worship to Jesus. And all that we do is to reflect his name to the world around us. So let's break down this statement together. What does Paul mean? What is this first phrase? What does it mean, all that we do? All that we do. At verse 17 it says, And whatever you do in word and deed. You know what the Greek words for whatever you do mean? They mean all that you do. No tricks, right? It means simply that. Everything that you do, it encompasses every sphere of your life. Everything you say, everything you do. Just as Jesus is the center of all things, all that we do should also reflect Jesus. All that we say in every way that we act. There isn't much left in between. This phrase is a catch-all for everything, even that's mentioned in 12 through 14. And as followers of Jesus, we should live our lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, which saves us. Instead, many of us try to compartmentalize our lives. Um, Early in my Christian walk as a teenager, especially, I remember this. I, I grew up in a church home, and so I, I went to church, and um, it, was a, it was a church tradition where we, we dressed really nice, and we looked really good on the outside, and um, man, all the little old ladies thought Jacob was a cute little boy, you know, and they wanted him to grow up to be a pastor someday, yada, 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 and, but I was, I was in that sphere of life, and I acted a certain way, but then when I went to school, I acted a different way around my peer group and my friends. Even with some members of my family, I'd act a different way than, than even when I was at school. And they, they looked different. And I thought that having a fuller life was being a part of both these worlds simultaneously that actually, in reality, run contrary to one another. And it was exhausting trying to live both. And I found that life outside of Jesus grew empty, hollow, and dark. And God is not just after one aspect of my life, but he wants it all. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to fully go into this Jesus style. I'm going to fully go into how, viewing the world how Jesus views the world and just living that consistently across every sphere of my life. And that brings us to the next part of our statement. All that we do reflects the name of Jesus. Look at verse 17 again. Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what does it mean to reflect the name of Jesus? All of our actions, all that we do and the things that we say should display Jesus to others. We see this idea even present in, in other areas of scripture, even especially in the, in the Old Testament. There's the word uh, in the Old Testament called glory. And many times that word glory is the Hebrew word chavod. And it carries the idea of weight or heaviness. You want to say that with me? It's a fun word to say, chavod. You have to get a little bit more phlegmy. The person in front of you needs to kind of feel this word, you know what I'm saying? Chavod. There we go. You just spoke Hebrew. How cool is that? It's fun. It's fun. It's a fun word to say. This word is used to, to convey, convey the idea of heaviness. So it's used to describe like heavy set people in the, in the Old Testament and in the Bible, but also used to describe the weight and the heaviness of God, not physically, 
but his significance, his weight, his glory. In a sermon on glory, Tim Mackey defines the word this way, and I love this definition. He says, glory is a physical representation of someone's power, significance, and authority on display. So physical objects and people in the scriptures displayed the power, significance, and authority of God. Take, for instance, the glory of the tabernacle and temple in Exodus 40, 35. Um, The pillar of cloud and fire in the wilderness in Exodus 16 and 24 is described as the glory of God. Even the priestly garments. Here's a human individual. The priestly garments that he wears that has the very name of God on it is described as giving him the glory and allowing him to bear the glory of God towards others. In the same way, we bear the name of Jesus. And we carry his glory, his significance, his authority to the world because we bear his name. No matter what we do in life, our job, career path, you name it, those of us who believe in Jesus carry his weight, his significance, his glory, his authority in our lives. It leads Paul to say in other places, whether we eat or sleep, whatever you do, do all to the glory, the weight, the significance of God. We have a purpose in this world. And that purpose is to glorify God. But there's another way we see this idea attached, and it's more closely to the idea of a name. Do you know what the third commandment is in your Bible? Exodus 20, verse 7, it'll be on your screen. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And many times we think that this commandment means, all right, I'm not going to swear, right? I'm not going to take the Lord's name in vain. And I do agree with that premise. Don't get me wrong. I think we should not be taking and using the Lord's name in a flippant manner, especially as a swear word. But the word take means more specifically to carry or to lift up the name of the Lord in vain or in meaningless ways. Um, the Bible Project is a, is a podcast I frequently listen to. They interviewed a, a scholar by the name of Dr. Carmen Imes, and she did her dissertation on this specific command. And she says this, the command is telling the Israelites not to misrepresent Yahweh the Lord, just as Aaron and the priests in Exodus carried the name of Yahweh. So God commanded his people to symbolically carry his name. Not to carry or lift up the name of the God, the name of God in vain means to not misrepresent him through our lives. We are called to carry the name of God wherever we go. And so we actually see this idea of carrying a name even in our, our, our day and age. I mean, I, I think if I, if we, I don't even know where in representation is, wherever Miller Park is, oh, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm American family, uh, Amfam Field, um, wherever that is, I mean, come on now. They changed that name and that hurt my soul. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Amfam is just not, nothing compared to Miller Park. It'll always be Miller Park in my heart. But, but that's an example, right? Stadiums bear the names of these companies. And it is, it is a, a very powerful and it's an expensive commodity. And what they are is they, they, they write their name on this, this big, huge, magnificent stadium so that they can capture some of the glory that that stadium brings or capture the, that, that team's glory that's in that place and that it can be attached to their brand as well. And though a stadium name is incredibly expensive, Jesus placed his name on us and he paid more than even that. He laid down his life. He paid more than a company. 
He laid down his very life to place his name upon us so that we can reflect him to the world. Jesus gave his life for us. And because of that price he paid, we carry his name wherever we go. Into the home, into the workplace, a bar, a restaurant, any form of entertainment we go, we are bearing the name of Jesus with us. Where have you carried the name of Jesus this week? We represent Jesus to the world. How are you reflecting that name? Something to think about. Have you ever seen like really terrible statues? I, I, just, I just wanted to Google it this week to try to find the sermon illustration. And believe me, I found some. <laughs> All right? And so I just Googled like, what's a terrible statue? And I got a couple pictures for you. I will throw them on the screen. Um, this one is in the UK. It's Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. Uh, a UK resident discovered these two giant chia pet heads in a house auction. And he decided, you know what? They belong in my front yard of, of my house. And so he put them there. And I mean, it's just terrifying seeing the queen with that head of green hair. Um, and uh, here's another one. This is Melania Trump. And this is not a joke, all right? <laughs> it, it, it was actually not done to make fun of her. It was a life-size statue of the first lady that was commissioned by a resident of her hometown in Slovenia. And it was carved out of a tree by a chainsaw. And it might be hard to see, but you can see they, for good measure, they drew eyes and a mouth on there with the nose. And it's just terrifying. Um, and here's, here's another one. Fans of I Love Lucy will be very disappointed in this one. Lucille Ball, um, um, she, she, this, this just showed up in her hometown in 2009 in New York. Um, and she looks terrifying. She looks demonic. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's terrifying. Um, and fans were so angry, they signed a petition to get this statue remade. And guess what? It was successful. <laughs> the power of I Love Lucy fans. Very good. But these statues, they're meant, they're meant to remind us and celebrate a person, right? They're meant to represent them and celebrate them. But these terrible depictions are not celebrated. Instead, what are they? They're put on a website to be mocked and scorned. Is your life a distorted statue of Jesus? Similarly, we can be mocked for the ways we misrepresent Jesus in the world around us. There's a lot of people in this world who, they can even get behind the teachings and the person of Jesus. But when they see how Christians in the church act in the world, they, they reject Jesus as well because they see the hypocrisy on display. Sometimes it's a warped view of Jesus on display, but sometimes, just to say it bluntly, Christians can be real big jerks in the world. I had a teacher in my undergrad who he taught, he taught the class of apologetics, which is the study of how do you reason and defend your faith in the world. And he told us, the best apologetic is not a fine-sounding argument or winning a debate. It is your life. You might not have asked for it, but... Jesus put his signature upon you. And the way you act reflects on how others in this world view our God. Not a lot of people in this world are going to pick up and read a Bible, but there's a lot of people that are going to read you and look at you and how you act in this world. If we bear the name of Jesus, we should try to reflect his likeness to the world. And people may be curious about our faith if we do this right. And you can bring life and light into the darkness. But that brings up the final question I want us to, to answer. How do we reflect the name of Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is really the first question we have to ask. Who is he? Well, let's go back to Colossians. 
Chapter 3, look at verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the character of our Lord Jesus. Think back upon this week in the home, at work, at school, even in your small group community. How are you doing? Have you represented Jesus in this way? The way that Paul describes that we ought to put on in his character and his likeness. Now the takeaway today isn't for us to grit our teeth and try harder to do better. I mean, the Holy Spirit, he's the one that brings about true change in our lives. And he is the one that reflects Jesus through us. But the call for us is just like what Paul said earlier. Focus on Jesus and live life to the fullest through him. As we focus our hearts on Jesus, we'll become more like him. And we can have an impact on this world if we draw our hearts to continually remind ourselves of the goodness of him and make him a part of our lives. So I have a couple of different New Year's resolutions for you to consider making a part of your life. First, learn and remind yourself of Jesus. Learn who he is and remind yourself of him every single day of your life. The story of the Bible culminates in the coming of Jesus, and it is all about him. Just read it. Study it. In our Bibles, we have four different accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because just one could not contain and do justice to this person. Listen to, your, to the Gospels on the way to work this week. Version Bible app has a ton of great audio Bibles. Listen to the Bible and don't, don't, you don't have to do it in one year. Maybe take two or three years to go through it slower and really soak in it. Secondly, practice wisdom through the Spirit. The Bible is timeless in its truth, but God gave it for you to learn and to grow. And different parts of the Bible are different, written in very different specific times in history. Um, and we encounter so much in our day and age here um, that is not touched on in the Bible. I mean, Paul doesn't say anything about a smartphone. <laughs> um, how, is that, how is that important in my discipleship to Jesus? Seek and study the Bible and under, try to understand what its meaning is in my day and age. A best way to do this is to talk about the Bible in community. Exercise wisdom in how we apply his, its teachings into our lives. Make coming to Epicos on Sunday each week a priority. All of us as pastors are seeking to try to take God's word and bring it into our modern day context and trying to display and show you what it means for us here today. Join a small group this year once we open up small group registration again in February and be a part of a gospel-rich community where we can talk about the scriptures together. And third, confess in community. One of the spiritual practices that we often forget is the practice of confession. Um, confession is simply this. It's an acknowledgement of our sin, which is all the ways that we failed to reflect the character of Jesus in this world. It's acknowledgement of that, which is sin, and acknowledging it before God who forgives us through the finished work of Jesus. But there's also an aspect where we bring confession into a place of community with other followers of Jesus other disciples of Jesus, and that leads to reconciliation, leads to understanding, leads to forgiveness, leads to even encouragement. 
When other people see that you fail, that actually encourages others to come alongside you in love and care and affection. Take time this year to cultivate a community of confession and forgiveness, whether in your small group or in another community of yours. Now, we don't want to just take and add these things to a list of legalistic demands that require us to, to, to follow in order to follow Jesus. So, so pre- to prevent us from becoming legalistic in this way and in our faith or feeling that, oh, I have this obligation now that's placed upon me, we need to be pointed towards thankfulness because that's what Paul does in 317. Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It is through a heart of gratitude that we reflect Jesus into the world. It's because I'm so thankful that I have been saved by the blood of Jesus that I want to show others in this world about him. It is through thankfulness that we bring his life into the lives of those around us. So I invite you to consider focusing on Jesus to make your life full, complete, and whole in this world. Can you just imagine with me? Can you imagine what this would be like in our families, our homes, our workplaces, and our communities if we reflected the character of Jesus everywhere we go? They would be rich places of life, wouldn't they? And that is what Paul is going to share more about in chapter four. Come and join us next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful that you chose to save us. You chose to save us, a humanity that was not worthy of your salvation. But yet you sent your son, perfect as could be, this gift into the world to be our life. Lord, I don't want us to leave here today under a burden or a yoke of rule following. May we leave here today picking up the yoke of Jesus, which is easy, which is light. May we leave here today resting in him as our savior, resting in him and his work that is completely finished at the cross. May we rest in Jesus, who is the author and yes, the perfecter of our faith. And as we continue to focus on him, you will turn us into the people that you want us to become, into people that can be used by you to bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. May we, as your followers, live faithfully to this calling in our lives. And may we give our lives over to your lordship as our savior, as our king, and the reason that we live here today. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.